This is the Adam Gold Show. Oh, it's so festive. Very festive. It is festive. This is the Adam Gold Show. Also festive. Is it festive? I don't think it's festive. Sure. Welcome. I'm Adam. Dennis Cox. Sitting in for V to the Victoria, who is uh, hunting for... uh, for a Christmas ham. I don't know what she's doing, uh, but that's fine. She'll be back tomorrow. She go to the Honey Baked Ham. She could. She could go to, Just go uh, to go the go Honey to Baked ha- Ham. Get in line at the Ham Jam. Uh, yes. That, that used to block my path home. <laughs> like you, I used to go home up Six Forks. Six Forks Road here in Raleigh. And Six, jam. Six Forks already has a problem. Then the Ham Jam comes, and then we're... Com- we need infrastructure... Simply to handle ham jam. They literally put up signs saying yeah. delays, take alternate route, right. ham. I, I get it. <laughs> what That's we need, literally up in Raleigh. First of all, that little, this is so inside baseball to those of us in Raleigh, but everybody listening in Raleigh understands this. The, the parking lot where that honey baked ham is, which is adjacent to a Dunkin' Donuts. So I know, Dennis, you know it very well. Yeah, so, I know to drive by it. So... It is the worst. It's not just the worst parking lot for a uh, for a fast foodish type place mm-hmm. because it's chewed up and I mean it wrecks your car. The coming in or out of the Dunkin' Donuts, it's almost like going right off the curb. Yeah, <laughs> it's just awful. Um, but when I used to use Six Forks, I would uh, I would frequent the establishment because Dunkin' Donuts has great coffee. Um, the, the honey baked ham. Uh, we've used the honey baked ham uh, spot before, but what they need essentially is their own raised roadway, right above Six Forks. So you can like go on a little ramp and you go above it, and then you, everybody can uh, can kind of stay off the road because Six Forks is just a mess anyway. So incredible drama at the World Cup today. Real quick, Australia. Who had already beaten Tunisia? I like the the English pronunciation of Tunisia. I like Tunisia better. Uh, Australia, who beat Tunisia, had to win or draw versus Denmark today, who drew in their first match with Tunisia, and Australia scored in the second half and won one nil over Denmark. Denmark's good. D- Denmark without Christian Eriksen, their best player made it to the semifinals of the Euros. Was it two years ago? Two years ago. Sounds right. Erickson, before the tournament, nearly died on the field. Yeah. Right? That was the he had went into cardiac arrest in the field. Mm-hmm. Now he's fine. He's playing now. He's plays for uh, for Man U now. Um but that's a pretty big upset that Denmark did not go through the group. And that really goes back to drawing with Tunisia in their opening match. In the France Tunisia match France didn't have to do anything. They just had to show up. They didn't start anybody. They they basically started Pepe Le Pew. Oh. Like seven versions of Pepe Le Pew. Okay. I'm just kidding. They have a great team. And a mime. But they didn't. Right. Marcel Marceau played. Uh, but the, they honestly, they didn't, they didn't play well. And Tunisia wins 1-0. France actually scored the equalizing goal with, like, no, right before the final whistle. But they waved it off. I think they waved it off for offside. I'm not really sure yeah, why. I, said I, I had the sound. I had the sound off. Uh, so they waved it off for offside. Uh, it literally in the last 
minute of added time. Super exciting. It didn't matter. France still wins the group. Uh, but it matters to Tunisia. Their fans are going bonkers because they beat France. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Uh, and we're going to start with more awesome. I mean, I could just shout USA, USA, USA. I won't. But I will tell you that the former Captain America started things off very well for the U.S. For the captain, Tyler Adams. Austin McKay, Des making a big run. It's meant for him. Des is snuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pull it Yeah. But the U.S. takes the lead. You did. Can I hear it in Spanish? Vino para Serginho Des. El toque medio posición. Goal. Goal. Yeah. It's better in Spanish. That, that's Andres Cantor, right? It's my man. Incredible. Um, good for Christian Pulisic. Two pieces I want to direct your attention to. Both of the guys who wrote it have been on this program recently. Mike DeCorsi of the Sporting News wrote about Pulisic's goal, and Brian Strauss of SI also wrote about uh, Pulisic scoring the goal. And Christian Pulisic has taken a lot of arrows from U.S. soccer fans, myself included. I am not the biggest Christian Pulisic fan. But, man, there is one thing he you can count on Christian Pulisic to do, and that is expend everything and move forward. That's all he knows, man. Straight, straight ahead. He's not a great passer. Right? He's not even that good on set pieces anymore, but he will get forward. And boy, he had a nose for the net last night. Superb service from Weston McKinney, who created the long ball that Serginho Dest headed across the box to Pulisic. But my gosh, what a gutty, brave finish. In hockey, they calling it they call it taking a hit to make a play. That's what Christian Pulisic did. Took a hit to make a play. Oh, yeah. He's hurt. We'll see if he's able to come back on Saturday for Netherlands. Very quickly. Holy ball. There you go. Uh, uh, Dest, I loved Serginho Dest in this match. Tyler Adams, the captain, is just the man. He controls the entire game. And for U.S. soccer fans on Twitter... Just shut up about, why didn't Burhalter do this? Why did they sit back? I don't think they saw it, sat back. I think the game changed. The game changed at halftime. They almost got the second goal right before half, uh, but the McKenney through ball to Tim Weah, which was a beautiful through ball, they were, they were ruled offside, which the right call. I mean, we can't argue with it. Technology told us that Weah was slightly off. But Pulisic's out. 
Are you going to complain that they put Aronson on? Now, Aronson wasn't great, but are you going to complain they put Aronson on? Half you idiots want Aronson in the starting lineup. I don't mean idiots. That, but we can't complain about every single thing. Why did we just sit back? The game changed. They weren't going to extend themselves and know that Iran needed a goal because Iran's good enough to score goals. And the United States has scoring problems. The last thing they wanted was to have to get another goal. They wanted another goal, but they didn't have to get another goal. The game changed. If you can't recognize that, if you can't get out of your little bubble that you have to bash Burhalter at every step, I don't like Greg Burhalter, Greg Burhalter really. I'm not a Burhalter guy. But you cannot criticize him for what they did yesterday. They freaking got through the group. Geez, stop. Just yeah. stop. You're in the knockout stage. Uh, Who cares what happens? And they can beat Netherlands. Taylor Twellman, tell us, can they beat the Netherlands? There are multiple ways that you can try to get rid of the pain, but we are talking about not Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball and breathing. We're talking about a player that has to run, on average, seven to nine miles a game. Yes, they can beat the Netherlands. Absolutely, 100%. They need Christian Pulisic. However, we haven't seen Giovanni Reina other than eight minutes against England. FIFA came into this tournament, guys, listing the top 10 players under the age of 23. Giovanni Reina of the United States of America was listed third, and we've seen him for eight minutes. Yeah, that that is a failure, I think, of Burhalter in the first two matches. It was not a failure of Burhalter yesterday. That was not a match for Gio Reyna. Just wasn't. Unless they were going to bring him on instead of Aronson, which... I frankly wouldn't have because the way Aronson plays is the way you need. He didn't play well, but the way Aronson plays is what you needed in that match. You needed somebody who would hound the ball. I expect we'll see Reyna against Netherlands. I do. I expect that we will see Reyna against the Netherlands. But holy cow, if you're if the knee-jerk reaction is, why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? They won. You know how many World Cup matches the United States has won ever? Not much. I think six. Okay. They won a match. Gosh, get over yourself. And the only goal they gave up was a PK. Yeah, they've been incredible defensively. Yeah. Incredible defensively. So uh, Turner was good. Uh, Tim Ream has just been a stud. Gosh, Tim, 35-year-old Tim Ream. (laughs) Just unbelievable. All right, let me get to a couple of more things. We're actually going to talk more soccer here in a second. Uh, Ryan O'Hanlon of ESPN is going to join us. NC State with a win over William and Mary last night. Look, they did what was necessary, right? They state they didn't have they didn't qualify for the Big Ten ACC challenge, so they went out and they scheduled the game against William and Mary. That's fine. Uh, but here's how I know. By the way, Casey Morsell had a big game. How do I know Casey Morsell had a big game? Listen to this. This is how I knew. And the Penguins get on the board. Even during the Hurricanes game, we could tell that Casey Morsell was having himself a night. 23.6 of 9 from deep. Like, I appreciate that we all, as Hurricanes fans, got a chance to hear that. I think that was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Turquavian Smith, Jarkel Joyner, Jack Clark, all good last night, but it was the Casey Morsell show, and that's good 
They've needed some other guys to you know, provide some offense. They were complaining about Morsell last year, so good for him. Casey Morsell, 23. And uh, I, we're going to talk to Brian Geisinger later. State team is interesting to me. I don't know how good they can be because I'm not sure their defense is going to be great, but uh, they're certainly going to be interesting offensively. UNC and Duke are both in action tonight. Heels are at number 10, Indiana. Duke is home to 25th ranked Ohio State. Both teams coming off either disappointing losses or strange losses. Carolina lost two out of three in Oregon. Duke lost the championship game to Purdue. This is the final year of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. It has been five years since the ACC won this thing. They are ahead five to three in this uh, in this competition. The final fake rankings show for college football happened yesterday. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC were the top four. I actually think that USC and TCU will flip, even though TCU with a win over Kansas State in the Big 12 title game would be undefeated, and Southern Cal would have one loss, but Southern Cal has a chance to avenge that loss when they play Utah. Their only loss was at Utah on a game-ending two-point conversion. I think USC will ultimately end up in third if USC wins the Pac-12. Here's my question. How is it possible that Alabama is six and Tennessee is seven? Tennessee's got two better wins than Alabama. Alabama's best wins are against the state of Mississippi. Plus, Tennessee beat Alabama. They beat Alabama, and they won at LSU. I don't, I can't fathom. Boo Corrigan, what, what, what are we looking at on the committee, Boo? I, I think at the end of the day, we, we talk a lot about wins in, in this committee, and we talked about that earlier this year with TCU, and, and they kept winning games, and they kept finding ways to win games, and, you know, that's a team that over the last four weeks is, I think on defense, giving up about 19 points a game. So, obviously, winning these games does matter. It's something that we look at, something we talk about um, more than anything else. Okay. Head-to-head's got to matter. Now, neither Alabama nor Tennessee has a game left. So, if it were me, if it were me, Tennessee would get the fourth spot if either Southern Cal or TCU fell apart it would be Tennessee I think Tennessee has I know they lost to South Carolina I know they lost to Georgia Ohio State lost to the best team they played on their home field by a lot and really only played one other really good team all year all right back to USA 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 through to the round of 16 Ryan O'Hanlon from ESPN author of net gains Inside the Beautiful Games Analytics. Uh, I'll ask you an analytics question just to get us started talking about the game. Um, what did analytics tell us the final score should have been? What were the expected goals yesterday? Well, the analytics would tell us that the final score should have been um, something with a decimal point at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, it would have told us that those final score was impossible. I think what the analytics <laughs> told us was that the U.S. could have scored more than two goals mm-hmm. in the first half. Yes. And then the U.S. 
did not come close to scoring a goal in the second half. <laughs> and Iran probably didn't create enough chances to score a single goal in the second half, but they were very close to creating enough chances mm-hmm. to score a goal in the second half. And I guess I'm now realizing that everything I'm saying the analytics told us, uh, you could have just watched the game. Yeah, we did. I did. I, wa- I watched the game. Uh, while I was doing the, the show, watch the first half of the game while I was supposed to be concentrating on my job and watch the second half of the game. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you this, Ryan. I'm not letting anybody else here uh, watch the second half of the game on my drive home. Uh, so let's get right to it. Um, you're, you're just the way you what you took out of this game. What what was it? I I think. Like, the team is just it's better than I thought it was going to be, I think is the main takeaway. Like, I don't think it's – like, we had this game where Iran is just a very good defensive team. Yeah, they did give up six goals to England. That did happen. But England finished really well, and also England can just, you know, get on a heater, right? Yeah. they have so many good players. But, like, historically, Iran is a great defensive team. Carlos Quiroz is – an incredibly frustrating manager for mm-hmm. people that root for his teams, but he builds a great defense. And the way the group stages played out, this wasn't just a normal game, right? This was a game where Iran, they just needed to draw. Like mm-hmm. it, it had different incentives. And Iran just had everyone behind the ball. So when that's happening, it's very hard to create high-quality opportunities, right? Because, like, there's just no space. So a lot of the times you'll see, you know, maybe a deflection will lead to a goal. You'll see a set piece that leads to a goal. Like, those are the ways you break these teams down. You get a handball in the box or something, right? And then that opens the floodgates. But the U.S. didn't need any of that. They created an incredibly high-quality opportunity because the U.S. now has a player like Weston McKinney, Mm -hmm. who plays for Juventus in the Champions League, who plays a perfect ball onto a perfect run from Zudino Dest, who plays for AC Milan in the Champions League, who heads it across to Christian Pulisic, who makes – hasn't been talked about enough, in my opinion. The run he made was yep. absolutely incredible. Um, he's like 30 yards from the goal when Weston McKinney plays the ball in the first place. And Pulisic is, you know, the greatest American soccer of all time, and he gets on the end of it, and it's, you know, essentially a tap-in into a near wide-open net. And being able to create that chance against an Iran defense like that is something the U.S. would have never been able to do in the past, in my opinion. Ryan O'Hanlon from ESPN, author Net Gains Inside the Beautiful Games Analytics Revolution, and that has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but it is uh, a fascinating look into uh, how that has sort of transformed the way we look at soccer. The, the thing about this game, I thought McKinney, even though he can't go very long because of fitness, he, wasn't, he was injured and wasn't playing for Juventus, but we saw, through, I think... In the first half, we saw the value of McKenney's creativity, and I think we saw the value of Serginio Dest, who was, I thought, part of almost every single American chance. Uh, McKenney yeah. had the through ball to Tim Weah, who was, I think his kneecap was offside, uh, and that uh, was enough to wave, <laughs> to wave off that goal. But I thought that through ball might have been better than the, the ball he played in the air to, uh, to Dest for the goal. Yep. I agree. The way he kind of had to like slice across it with the inside of his foot to create outside spin. Um, I, I think it actually was, was even harder, but yeah, he, he's the, uh, Bruce Arena famously described Clint Dempsey, uh, as someone who I can't really say this word on radio, but <laughs> let's just say he described him as someone who just quote, just tries stuff. 
right? <laughs> worried other than stuff. And I think McKinney is like in that same boat, right? Like he'll give the ball away some, but like he does think tries things that other players on the team don't try, and it leads to you know basically should have led to two goals um, against Iran. All right, uh, from from your perspective, and I we always we always talk about Pulisic. We always talk about. Uh, you know why we can't find a uh, a proper striker? I don't know that we ever talk enough about how good Tyler Adams is. Uh, I know I was listening this morning on uh, the uh, Sirius XM to uh, guys talking about Adams not long for leads, like he is destined for bigger and better. Uh, how how good is Tyler Adams in your eyes? Yeah, so I, w- I would love to be the guy who says, don't sign a player because he does well at the World Cup. It's a lower competition level, and it's only four games. Like, there's so much, uh, such a larger body of evidence. Yep. But with Tyler Adams, I think you're, see- like, you're seeing an accurate representation of just how good he is. Um, like, I don't, I don't think he has a role maybe in a team like Manchester City because they have such a specific way of playing right. where they – every player on the team has to be like a 99.9 percentile like (laughs) technician with the ball. Right. right? Like that's the main requirement that they have. But like, honestly, every other team in the world could use Tyler Adams. Um, If I think of like the team that could use him the most, like Bayern Munich, right? Like Mm -hmm. they, they love to play this kind of high octane up and down style. And Tyler Adams like is amazing at cleaning up the messes within that style. Um, so he's 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 the real deal. Like he's he's good enough, in my opinion, to, if he stays healthy, which has been an issue in the past, to basically play for any team in the world. And I, I do not think he's long for Leeds either. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 kind of fascinated by watching Leeds, but I agree. I think uh, I think he is probably out the door. Maybe after this year, they get a lot. They might get a lot for him uh, because he is so steady in the midfield. Uh, who has surprised you? And then I want to be, we've got like a minute and a half left here. Who has surprised you with how well they've played? Matt Turner. And not because Matt, I knew Matt Turner was a really great shot stopper. Right. He's uh, been incredible with the ball at his feet. It looks terrible. He looks <laughs> terrible with the ball at his feet. <laughs> right. But he made a great ball, a line-breaking pass that, ultimately opened things up for the first goal. And then the goal that was ruled out, he made an incredible like 40 yard pass on the ground under pressure to McKinney that set him up to play that pass. And there was a bunch of other moments where Turner like broke pressure with his ability to, you know, play a quick uh, one or two touch pass. And for all the things I thought Matt Turner had in his, uh, you know, in his tool belt, being good with the ball to seat was not one. And he's been like lights out <laughs> in possession. He has been very good. Uh, I I love everything about Matt Turner's game. Uh, you know, my son's a keeper. It's all about shot stopping for him. Uh, there's so many other things. Real quick, uh, your your thoughts on USA Netherlands Saturday morning? So Netherlands, uh, they're not as good as the name suggests. It's not a vintage Netherlands team by any stretch of the imagination, but they're a very similar team to the U.S. in that they kind of tend to dominate possession. And so you think they're like a quote-unquote attacking team, but their real ability is suppressing goals, which is the same thing with the U.S. They don't score that much, but they don't give up any goals. So I think I think it's going to be a very like it, like a one-zero or a zero-zero into extra time potentially shootout type game. It's going to be I think it's going to be a very close like it's going to be decided by like 
who finishes the one or two decent chances that they get type game. Just got somebody has to figure out where Cody Gakpo is at all times. He has scored in each of their matches. He is phenomenal and one of those great young players. Uh, Ryan O'Hanlon from ESPN. I appreciate your time. I've enjoyed talking. Hopefully we can continue talking well into this tournament if the U.S. continues to play well. We'd love to come back. Ryan, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a good one. You got it. All right, Ryan O'Hanlon from ESPN. Uh, hit him up on Twitter. Uh, excuse me? On Twitter. <laughs> Never mind. This is the penultimate. Actually, I'm sorry. This is the last. I was using penultimate in a different uh, a different story or a little bit later on. This is the final Big Ten ACC challenge because the television contract uh, with the Big Ten has completely taken it away from ESPN. They will not have access to any home games played by Big Ten schools. So they can't, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, which actually began as the Big East ACC Challenge, was wholly created by ESPN. It's been the only home of it. Now, theoretically, they could split it, I guess, with Fox, who now has the lion's share of the Big Ten tournament, Big Ten uh, contract, but I guess there was no interest in doing it, and there really doesn't have to be. The Big Ten ACC Challenge didn't have to be something that we had forever. It will be replaced by the ACC-SEC Challenge, which I heard uh, our friends Joe and Joe on the OG talking about it yesterday, um, and I think it's going to be difficult to have North Carolina or Duke play Kentucky since both of those schools are involved in annual uh, four-team events with Kentucky. Carolina plays in that CBS Sports Spectacular, whatever it's called, and Kentucky is one of the one of the teams. So every third year, Carolina is playing Kentucky in that. Duke in the in the Champions Classic is playing Kentucky every third year. Theoretically, in the year where both of both of them miss Kentucky. You could match them up, but it will not be. It's not going to be an annual. You're not going to see those teams uh, play that much, even if they probably will match up. The SEC has actually become a pretty. I mean, I'm not going to use the word competent, but a, I think a very credible basketball league. Uh, I mean, the ACC could have also considered the Big Twelve, which, if you ask people today, they will tell you that the Big Twelve plays the best basketball. They're not traditionally the best basketball league, but the Big 12 has more really good basketball teams right now probably than any other conference. And that's just the way that has fallen. Uh state by the way did not did not make it in. They finished when you finish last, when you finish last in the ACC in a 15 team basketball league going up against a 14 team league like the Big 10 is then somebody can't play. And in this case, it was NC State. That's the way they've basically done it. If you finish last, you don't play. Uh, and that's uh, and that's okay. Uh, so, um, no big deal. We'll, uh, we'll, you know, State will do it. State will do it next year. Because uh, I actually think State's going to be pretty good. 
this year. Here's the one thing I like about NC State, and we'll talk about this more with Brian Geisinger coming up in our third hour today. I think State has an unusually high number of players who can literally get their own shot. And I'm not saying that they're better than Carolina or better than Duke or anything like that. They're different. And obviously, Duke and Carolina are better. But I think in Duke's case, they struggle for offense. They struggle to create offense individually. That doesn't mean that they won't be able to solve that problem. I do think they will. But it's going to take some time. They're also dealing with 1,100 freshmen. Everybody on the team is a newcomer, basically, except for Jeremy Roach, Ryan Young up front. I mean, they've got Grant Grandison is uh, is a transfer and is an older player too, but they're all new. Carolina's got a team where, yeah, I think Caleb Love and R.J. Davis can get their own, but for the most part, it's a it's an offense that needs some rhythm and an offense that needs familiarity. So. Individually, Pete Nance would probably beat Brady Manick in a one on game of one on one. But I don't know if he's better than Brady Manick is as a player for that team. Certainly not the Brady Manick that we saw the last six weeks of the season. I mean, Brady Manick was he was just every time they needed a big play, he made it. Every time. So that's that's a pretty big hole to fill for Carolina. And we have seen the Tar Heels struggle in games this year that they won. They were they struggled with Portland in the first game of the whatever where they were in the Legacy or the Invitational. I don't know which one of the Nike tournaments brackets they were in, uh, but they struggled with Portland deep into that game. It was a one possession game. And then they had a lead late on Iowa State, and then Iowa State closed the game on a big run. The Alabama game, four overtime. We could have won that game. I mean, it's going to take some time for Carolina to figure out, all right, this is how we play. Um, It's the chemistry that happened at the end of last year was real. And it enhanced what is, I think, a very good basketball team. We got caught up in the run that really accentuated how good a team they could be. But you have to allow that some of that was a team that just got on a roll. I'm not saying they were as bad as we saw at times, but they also weren't as good as we saw at the end. It's closer to that. But it's not that. I think Carolina is uh, definitely a team that will probably spend the entire year in the top 12. But I don't know that, I mean, the way way I look at them, they could certainly get hot again and end up winning it all. But there's a lot of teams that fall into that category. It's a ton of teams that fall into that category. As for Duke, we're just going to have to, we know they're talented. We know this team got a whole bunch of guys who are going to be in the NBA. But it's, I mean, Derek Lively isn't that good yet. 
Like he doesn't make great Im- big big impacts on the game just yet. Derek Whitehead, same thing. We haven't, we haven't seen it yet. The way any of these teams are, especially Duke, like you mentioned, being such a young team, come January, February, they're going to look totally different than what they do right now in terms of how they play. Kids, these kids are just going to get better. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they will. Yeah. So to this point, we haven't seen Derek Lively be, you know, the number one recruit or the number two recruit, and we haven't seen Derek Whitehead be that, uh, that guy. Kyle Filipowski was, I think, uh, I'm just off the top of my head. I think he was ranked like seventh. I said this might have been to uh, Brian Geisinger, who's going to join us again in our third hour. I said, I think that Filipowski is going to lead Duke in scoring more games than anybody else. And I absolutely believe that is going to be true. By, I think that will be clinched before the end of January. He just is a pure scoring big man. He can hit you from deep. He can score around the basket. He gets a lot of rebounds. He's going to score off offensive putbacks. He's really, really good. Um, But ultimately, that team needs the guys who break you down in the middle of the uh, in the middle of their offense, whether it's Whitehead or Mitchell or Roach getting inside. Tyrese Proctor is going to have to beat his man off the bounce and get inside the lane just to create opportunities. Uh, but Duke's got a super uh, array of talent. They just have to figure out how to play. They they just have to do that. So, again, they're both going to be work in progresses. Uh, but just getting back to NC State before we take a quick break, um, I like the fact that they have multiple guys that can beat you off mm-hmm. the dribble whether it's Joyner or Smith, and now you are you see another shooter develop in Casey Morsell. It's going to be fun to watch them play throughout the year. I don't think they're very good defensively, not good enough. Um, but I don't think they're very deep either. But they're, I, they're going to be, I think, a fun team. They'll probably frustrate their fans. Because there will be games that State will lose that will make you mad, which always happens, I guess. But I think they're going to be a thorn in some pretty good teams this year because Smith can go for a big number, and I think Joyner can too. And they can complement that with a little bit of interior offense. and, um, And they've got a bunch of guys who can make shots. And that's what it is. Isn't that what uh, what Sidney Lowe said? Got to make shots. You got to make shots. We play in North Carolina State, baby. <laughs> the new head coach at the University of Nebraska, Matt Rule, who went on Peter Schrager from NFL Network. He has a podcast call, called The Season. And Rule was a guest on the podcast and discussed his former place of employee. Listen to this. If you could do it all over again, what would be the one thing you would change looking back on it as obviously it didn't work out with Super Bowl victories or anything like that? I, I, I think I probably would just probably just, you know, uh, probably taking another job. You know, I mean, I think I mean, it's a great place, uh, you know, the wonderful people. But I just don't know if I was a fit there. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we, we talked about, hey, we're going to have a, a, a four year plan, a five year plan. You know, if you tell me, hey, we got a two year plan, then then I'm gonna go get signed a bunch of free agents and, and do it. So, 
you know, what was a four-year plan became a two-year and five-game plan real quick. And Interesting. It, it's not about, hey, it's not, and I'm not angry about it. You know, no. at the end of the day, I understand. But if you're, if it's going to be that quick, then, then we're going to sign some more free agents. We're going to, we're going to go make the blockbuster trade. We're going to do those things. I think the trajectory that we were on was correct. It was to, it was to have a team that next year could maybe make a big trade um, that could, you know, and I think you see the signs of it right now. When they play well on offense, they win. You know, there's a good defense there. And um, I, I give Steve all the credit. I give the coaches all the credit, but I'm part of that building process. Yeah. So had that just stayed for maybe through this year and maybe made the big free agent signing this year to get them over the top, I think that the Panthers could win the, the NFC South for years to come. Self-aware is a phrase that comes to mind here. First of all, that was all about David Tepper, which I think is fair, 100% about David Tepper. Secondly, if you had control over personnel, final say over personnel, and you were the build it slowly, why in the hell did you trade for Sam Darnold? Why in the hell did you trade a future, what was it, a three to move up to draft Matt Corral? Mm -hmm. That is not the behavior of somebody who is patiently building. So we're calling BS on that. But here's the real problem. Because the real problem isn't that the timeline got shorter under, like, right underneath Matt Rule. The goalposts got moved. That ain't the problem. The problem, Matt Rule, is that you got worse as a head coach. The team performed worse as a head coach. We had this great defense last year. And your team didn't play any better. You didn't perform any better as a head coach. And then this year, it was more dysfunctional. You didn't need Baker Mayfield. The world knew that Baker Mayfield was not a significant upgrade over anybody that the Panthers had on the roster. We all knew that. The only people who didn't know that were named Baker Mayfield... And the people who are married to NFL draft history. Well, he was a former first overall pick. Like, yeah, and we had seen him play. Now, I had been saying all along that Baker was better than the player who stunk in Cleveland because I do believe that there was a fair amount of injury that hampered his ability to play well. But that doesn't mean that Baker Mayfield was the, you know, a middle-of-the-road starting quarterback in the NFL. No. Most people figured that out. This was not about a timeline. <laughs> this was not I, about a timeline. I love the, you know, they're winning now. You know, I helped build that. Right, that the whole thing, right? I was actually on with the Mac and Bone show down in WFNZ yesterday. As or, you at, or, or as, as Matt sorry, Rule? As Matt Rule. Okay. Matt Rule was on <laughs> because they had Steve Wilkes on before that. Like, oh, we got to bring on Matt Rule too. I literally said those same things. Right. <laughs> with them being like, oh, yeah, I did. Well, do we know that was Matt Rule? Did you go on the uh, 
the season podcast with Peter Schrager? Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. <sighs> I mean, maybe Matt should have just set that out. Maybe, right? Maybe he should have set. But he's but that's that's the the line he has been on because he used that at Nebraska's introductory press conference. You heard the clip from mm-hmm. that where he talked about they asked him how fast can you win. He said, well, I really didn't shouldn't talk about timelines and the timeline got me in trouble. No, man, the timeline didn't get you in trouble. The fact that you weren't helping them forget about accelerate the timeline. Mm-hmm. You weren't giving anybody hope that you could even maintain your timeline. Because David Tepper didn't want to fire you. If he wanted to fire you, he wouldn't have let you come back for year three. David Tepper felt he had no choice but to fire you. And I even said it was a mercy firing at the time because I believe that Tepper likes Matt Rule, and I think Matt is a likable guy. But that's delusional to think that you get fired because if it was... Uh, I didn't realize it was going to be a two-year timeline. We would have signed some free agents. What? You did. Hmm. Ha- w- was was Hassan Redick a free agent? Yeah, he was. Okay. I'm. I'm. Maybe I missed it. Robbie Anderson, I think, was a free agent. No, no. They they, they did they sign him from the Jets or they they get him in a trade with the Jets? Either way, you brought him in. Robbie Anderson, though. Was never that good. Is he doing anything in Arizona right now? I don't think so. I'll have to look that up. I, but he, I, I saw a promo for the in-season, um, what is that HBO show? Oh, Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks. The in-season Hard Knocks. Uh, so I saw him on the sidelines at Arizona, like at a practice or something. Oh, so I saw, nice. I saw a picture of him. So I have no idea if he's doing anything. Look, the Panthers even though they are three and four under Steve Wilkes, right? Mm-hmm. Three and four under Steve Wilkes, which is good considering them. And by the way, winning the NFC South for years to come, ain't that a big, ain't that big a deal? Because if you think about the NFC South, Tampa is old and the bill is coming due for all of the players that they re-signed and essentially paid their contract out over time, right? That credit card bill is coming due for Tampa. They are they don't who's the who's the quarterback next year for the Buccaneers? Me? Might be. Might be. What's the future of the New Orleans Saints? They also don't have a quarterback for next year. What's the future of the Atlanta Falcons? Marcus Mariota is not the answer. Desmond Ritter, they drafted. Maybe. Maybe. So, winning the NFC South shouldn't be all that great of an achievement, except that when you're the Panthers, and I may have this wrong, but I don't think so, in their entire history have never had consecutive winning seasons. It would seem, although they have won the division, I think, three years in a row. <laughs> Shout out 7-8-1. Seven, 7-8-1 eight, seven, eight, won a division. So, with with all that said, they could be the team that could run that division for an extended stretch. But that doesn't mean that is an incredible feat. So, uh, look, they have some really good players. 
I think what they need more than anything is stability, and they haven't really. They had it really with uh, with Ron Rivera, who wasn't a great coach. He's a good coach, but they had it with Rivera, and believe it or not, they had it with John Fox, who was a lesser version of Ron Rivera, but about the same type of coach, conservative, defensive oriented, let's not beat ourselves type of thing. But you know, he wasn't go out and going to go out and win games for you. So the the Panthers have a future, but there's they still have a lot to build. I'd like to see Steve Wilkes get that gig. I really would. Um, I think I think he would be the perfect guy to help lead them forward. And I think he cares about the gig. I think I think it matters to him as a as a Charlotte guy. So hopefully uh, it'll work out for him. But Matt Rule is utterly delusional if he thinks this was a timeline acceleration problem because it wasn't. But enjoy Nebraska. This is the Adam Gold Show.